I'll always tell it like it is, that's the bottom line If you just living to exist, you want borrowed time Don't ever let them take your soul, no, no, no Don't ever let them take your soul, no, no, no I'll always tell it like it is, that's the bottom line If you just living to exist, you want borrowed time Don't ever let them take your soul, no, no, no Don't ever let them take your soul, no, no, no That's the bottom line That's the bottom line, yeah, that's the bottom, that's the bottom line, that's the There's bottom There's an alcoholic in a hole, and a rabbi walks by, and he's like, Rabbi, Rabbi, can you help me get out of this hole? And he's like, yeah, I'll pray for you, my son. And a therapist walks by, and he's like, yeah, yeah, let me look in the book, and let me figure something out. And then an alcoholic walks by, and he says, hey, buddy, can you help me out? And the guy jumps in the hole with him. <laughs> and he goes, what are you, an idiot? Now we're both stuck. And he goes, no, 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 I've been in this hole before, I know the way out. Right. Cool. It's that sort of we're connected by our pain and our suffering, but we're also connected by um, this gift of recovery, this knowing what it was like and then living sort of our true selves, being the people that we were meant to be. And in most cases, not everybody. Right. We got a couple of screwballs. Yeah, right. Sure. But ultimately living to our full potential as human beings. Not about what we do for a job or success that we've had, but about being that person that wants to say yes. Being that person that wants to have the handout to another human being. Not just another person that's been in that same hole as us, but anybody, right? Yeah, I, I think, at least for me, the reason is because even though you and I will travel in many different circles, sure. have nothing in common, I know that you know how I feel. Yep. And you know the same. Yep. And many people have said, well, I can relate more to somebody else with my problem, mm -hmm. another recovering person, than I can from my wife. And I love my wife more right. than I love anything. But you understand me. Yep. You understand my pain. Because mm -hmm. so, we've been there. But So let's, you, you mentioned your wife again, right? Yeah. So let, let's talk about that. Because we talk about having that sort of, uh, that connection with other people that suffer from the same brokenness that we right. suffer with, right? But then many of us are blessed right, to meet the person and to spend our lives with the person that I really think we're supposed to, that we're supposed to be with that mm -hmm. person. This is not, this is sort of, I think, God's design, God's plan that we're going to, and I'm going to put these two together and they are going to complement each other in such a way. Um, tell me more about your wife. Tell me about her sort of you said she drew the line in the sand, mm -hmm. and, I, and I get the sense from most people, my own life, um, you know, that the line always sort of continued to, to get move. moved and get slidden, and, but you had, you had success getting sober. As soon as she put it in front of you, like, this is it, yeah, I'm out of here. But having that support, having that person by your side for all these years, tell me about that. Tell me about what that means to you. Yeah, I don't know if I could have recovered without her, honestly. Yeah. I mean, maybe I could have. I don't know. Um, uh, to come home alone, you know, or to come home to somebody that drank like I did, mm. I, I don't know. She didn't, she didn't drink much. I mean, uh, she always astonished me. We'd go out to dinner, and she could leave half a glass of wine. I'd think, what's wrong with her? There's still a <laughs> half a glass of wine there, you know, that she could be drinking. That, that was her. She, didn't, she, she wasn't a prude, but, I mean, she didn't really she, she didn't have a problem. Right. And so for her to be as understanding as she was about me and putting up with it for, you know, that many years before right. I decided to get sober, you know, one check right there for her. Um, and then you know, even though we get sober, 
you know, there's still a lot of the isms there. Sure. There, there really is. And so uh, I've heard it. I've heard it said, and it's very true for me, that from the moment I stopped drink, started drinking, I stopped maturing emotionally. Sure. So I was still like basically 17 years old uh, mm-hmm. when she married at age 26. So she held my hand through all the growing up as well, you know, in recovery and in being, becoming the man I'm supposed to be, the adult I'm supposed to mm. be. So an, another check for, for Susie right there. Um, and then through the successes, because once the drink is put down, sure. then the life gets better. And in my case, a, l- a lot of material success. And she helped keep me grounded to that, too. Um, uh, also, along with a, a lot of other you know, recovering people in my life. But she was the mainstay. Um, and then, of course, we had a son. We, th- we thought we'd never have a son or a child. And so uh, And she was... You know, I'm off traveling and doing this race and that race, and she's home staying with, with our son and raising our son. She'd come on occasion. Now, listen, the first Kentucky Derby I won, she said, do you think I should come? Our son was six months old. I said, God, you know, not really. This yeah. horse has no chance, you know, to fight the crowd and everything. She said, oh, all right, all right, the horse wins. <laughs> the first thing I thought when I hit the finish wire, oh, my God, I told my wife not to come. <laughs> so uh, thank God I won another one and she was there. But uh, those are the, sacrifice, the sacrifices that she made. Right in order for me and us to become successful. I think that's one of the biggest things, you know. And then, of course, I retire and from active riding in 2006, and there's a hole there now. Right. You know, because every Monday morning when the sports page comes out, I know I'm going to get the pat on the back. You yeah. know, he did this, he did that. Sure. You know, now all that's gone. So there's a hole still there that, you know, 30, you know, 30 years ago now, but at, at the time, you know, 17 years – you know, I filled with alcohol, and then right. for 17 years I, I didn't. You know, but it was you know all this other accolades coming in that filled the hole. Now all of it's gone. Uh, so she was there emotionally right. to help me through that whole closing, and I don't need all that stuff anymore. Yeah, it's a huge adjustment too. I have to assume, right? Going yeah, from it, being it is the man, yes, right, to just like uh, just that you're just another retired guy, right? Yes. Exactly. And, 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 of course, my second career was a, a little bit of that, sure. but not nearly on that level. So, yeah, I, I, I've always likened it to the more famous the guy, and I, I'm certainly way down on that scale, way sure. down. It, it's the bigger the hole that's got to slowly close and adjust to normal right. life. Right. So she was there for me through all of that. And, God, I, I don't, don't know that I could have got through that without her. Yeah, I think our wives, they know us better than anybody else, yeah. right? Or at least they know the 90% about us that a partner should know, right? There's that other 10% that only you and I can sure. really have an understanding of, right? But um, they have a, a great way of sort of helping us keep our feet on the ground, right? And all right, Mr. Big Shot, you know, my, my wife does this thing now where, you know, I try to be this humble guy, right? I try to be what, you know, I try to be what I aspire to be, which is just a kind and generous person. I got a long way to go. But if I'm somewhere with her in, in a social circle and, you know, some, it's, it's the same as the high school dance. When you go out, sort of the guys go and the girls mm-hmm. go. And, and if she hears me say I more than once, she likes to walk by and go, I, 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 right? Yeah. Like just enough. All right. Just sure. enough about you. Just close this, open these and, and just pay attention to what other people are saying, yeah. you right. know? Because I think still as men, there's a little bit of competitiveness in us all, right? Sure. Somebody pulls out a picture of their kid, I pull out five pictures of my kids. 
Um, but there was something else that, uh, that you talked about, you know, sort of you started drinking at a very young age and you get sober and you, you stop growing as a human being, right? right? You pick up the alcohol, you stop growing as a human being, and then you're without alcohol. And I think for a lot of people, if they, you know, they see the drink as the thing tearing you apart and they say, ah, if this guy could just stop drinking, right? All this great stuff is possible, right? For me, what I like to say is my children have never seen me drink. Nor mine. But they have certainly seen me suffer from all alcoholism. The oh, all the you know, And, uh, but they've also seen, I guess, when I dropped the ball in the time, there's been many times in my, in my 30 or so years of, of being sober that I've dropped the ball, mm-hmm. right? Um, I guess one of the biggest blessings is, is for them to watch me correct it, right? To fall in whatever way and I fall as a human being and I don't meet the mark, but then for them to see me take responsibility for that and to say I was wrong uh, has been such a blessing in my life, you know? And I can only imagine our wives, they're, they're there for it all. Sure. They see the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? right? And um, my wife has been my rock my entire, she's never seen me drink. She's never seen me drunk, right? Um, but she has, again, certainly seen me be a complete jackass. Yeah, my wife has a phrase, um, and I, I love it about her. She'll, we'll be in social scenes, and, and she'll, she'll, I'll go off like I do sometimes. And she say, don't pay attention to him. Yeah. <laughs> and she's totally right. Don't pay attention to him. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you talk about the teaching moments for our children. Yeah, there, there's many of them. And it does make them stronger because they learn what they see. Mm-hmm. And of course, I, I've made many, many mistakes in sobriety and some bigger than others. Um, but my son, uh, who's now 27, has referred to a couple of those as that's how I learned this, and that's how I learned that. Oh, so, nice. you know, it, it helps take us off the hook. Um, but that's how they learn. That's how I learn. Yeah. And, you know, we learn from our mistakes. Parenthood, it does, it, kids don't come with instructions, right? I know. And it sounds like you, you had a pretty normal upbringing, right, in yeah, terms of parents that yeah. were there, and, you know, um, and not all of us had were, were in that situation. I had parents. They weren't always there. Um, and it was lots of difficulties in my life. And so learning how to parent came from the examples around me, like guys like you and other guys that were sober, that were trying to live a different kind of life, that were trying to be responsible. I had to learn from them. Right. Like they literally had to tell me. I had to learn how to get a driver's license from these guys. I had to learn how to turn on my electricity when I got my first place. I had to learn how to pay the rent on time. I had to learn all these things. So I went from not really having a dad who was present. He was physically there. He worked really hard. He drank quite a bit. And he was just trying to keep a roof over our head. And, you know, he came from a different place. You know, his job was singular. Keep the roof, the lights, the food. That was his job. And so... I didn't learn how to do any of the things that a man sort of learns as they grow. And, uh, and I was blessed to have men that never judged me, that were always there for me, that were willing to teach me. Guys like you, guys like, and you're not that much older than me, so I don't mean to put you in a category where you're some old guy. Just kind, generous men. The kind of men that say yes. 
right? They say yes to want to, wanting to mentor a young guy and point him in the right direction and take the time to teach him how to do all those things. I mean, I thank God, right? Thank God that those, those men were in my life, right? As crazy as I was and sometimes as unwilling as I was to listen, right? Um, and it's one of the things that I now take great pleasure in trying to do is trying to mentor younger people, right? Just to try to be there. And it's not just in my sort of sobriety circles, but I, I really, my circle is just a full circle, right? It's, I'm trying to say yes in all aspects of my life. And uh, to, to be able to try to point a young guy in the right direction is such a, is such a joy. Are there guys out there now, like in, in your professional career, jocks, people like that, that you're in contact with that are younger than you or that came to you and said, hey? You know, it's funny because I, I have kind of grabbed a, a, a youngster here and there right. to try and help out. Um, of course, they, they pretty much all know my story. Sure. Um, so I don't get immersed in their personal life too much. Right. I started professionally, and, and the funny thing is, 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 um, being able to help, and, and there's been some interest in a few spots, but by and large, these kids come out of high school at 16 to 17 years old, and they get an agent, you know, and mm. the agent kind of insulates them from anybody else. So un uh, unless there's the, the weird connection that you can make, um, they're kind of isolated. So it's hard to get to most of these kids, mm -hmm. uh, which I, th I think is, is a shame, you know, because they're listening to sometimes the right guys, and sometimes not the right guys. Right. They're agents, you know. So, um, no, not as much as I would like. I mean, I, there's not enough contact with, with youngsters coming up in the game for me to try and help and mentor that I, as I'd like. But you're still very much in the game, right? So yeah, you, you reinvented yourself again, right? Yeah. A second career, which is, I mean, as far as I can see, and anytime I ever watch a race on TV, there's, there's my pal, Right. Yeah. Which is, a, I don't know, is like it gives me a certain sense of more interest because I'm not sure if I'm much of a horse racing person. Right. But the fact that you're there right. on the TV, I don't change the channel. Right. I'm going to see my my pal do his thing. But you're still you're in the circles. Right. You're having a very successful sort of second career um, and you have access to these guys. Yeah, it's, it'd be like Troy Aikman having access to, you know, the, the guys in the NFL or Tony Romo. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I go to all, all the major races and, and work for um, uh, NBC Sports when they televise these things. Um, so I do see um, my, my older friends, but mostly the, the new younger generation coming up. The, the guys that were kids when I, when I left are now the old timers in, in, in the game. Right. And then you see the new ones. But because... You know, I am around, you know, every three weeks or whatever it might be through the Triple Crown and the Derby Preakness and Belmont season. Um, yeah, I, I get to uh, interact with them, which is, which is a lot of fun, which is why I did latch on to a few of these young guys and, and, and I've been able to help them. Mm. So is this a career that, like, I know you've done extremely well, but you've won. I mean, I, I, we did a little research, right? <laughs> thousands of races. I'm just going to put it that way, right? The thousands of races, and you've, and you've ridden in thousands and thousands of races. Uh, are there, there are guys that are just starting out. Are they, are they able to make, like, a, a decent living if they're just kind of knock around guys? Or? You know, that's a good question because when I was 
finished riding 15 years ago, um, the average, the median income for jockeys, because there's 3,000 of us around sure. the country, was around 35000 Now, the purses have gone up exponentially, sure. so it's probably more like about 55000 Right. Um, but let me put it in a, in a way you, that many people can understand. Um, 5% of the jockeys make 80% of the money. Sure. So if you're not good and you yeah. don't win, you're just getting by. I think that's the same in, in a lot of industries. I think when you say that, when you, when you, when you give me those numbers, it's like the acting game. Right. Right. There's a, when you go to LA, you land, you land in LA and every person you come in contact with for the entire time you're there is an actor. Right. Right. And whether they're pouring your coffee or driving your car, the bus driver, the shuttle bus, the guy handling your bag, everybody is an actor. Right. And I think it's the percentages are even much lower than 5%, but there's like, 3% 3% of those people in that industry are the people that are movie stars, right? Mm-hmm. That are living these unbelievable lives in terms of material things. And then everybody else is just really like worried about where their next job is sure. coming from, right? And, and you, as a jockey, you, you work for yourself. You work for a particular yeah. team. It's a, and it's an, We're independent contractors for each race we ride. So if I rode seven races one day, right. I'd probably ride for seven different owners. Right. It might double up once or twice. Sure. But I'm an independent contractor on each individual race. Right. So, so somebody self, wants you? Yeah. Somebody wants you for Very whatever reason? Like yeah. Very I think much. like you said early on, your first race was on a Saturday when you were only supposed to race on Sunday and they called you and said... We lost our guy. You right. want to you want to take a spot? I mean, that's it, right? And yeah. then as as you start to have some success, more calls come. It's just like acting. I mean, that's right. that's a perfect analogy because when you start out, you'll you'll take any role you can get. I could I would ride any horse I could ride. Right. You know, but as you get better and, and your success becomes greater, you know, you're you get paid more. Your roles become you know pickier, mm-hmm. and you only want to select roles because you've earned it. You, right. you know, you've made your way up. It's kind of how it was when I was riding. Um, I, I got to where I could ride just the biggest races with the best horses because I had paid my dues and worked my way up, and, and I was pretty good at it. And it's the same with actors. When you're good, you get to pick those roles. Nice. So you're on NBC. You yeah. do on horse races. You are – what is your – you're a, the, the color commentator? Yeah, analyst. Sense, just, you're just, the analyst. You're the guy. The like, other expert. Yeah, just like uh, – you know, um, Aikman would be for Fox, sure. or Rome would be for CBS, or Smoltz would be. You mentioned Major League Aikman Baseball. a couple of times. Uh, you must be a Cowboy fan. Well, I'm not really. Um, even though I grew up in Texas, yeah. not, he was just on the Super Bowl last night, so he sure. comes to mind. But I'm a Green Bay Packer fan. Oh, nice. Because growing up, listen, you're not the only hustler. <laughs> growing up in West Texas, the only way to make a dollar was to bet against the Cowboys. Yeah. And in the 60s, they played the Packers a lot. Yeah. You know, especially the Ice Bowl. and you know, sure. so, so I became a Packer fan because they ended up beating the Cowboys You know, when I first got involved mm-hmm. watching uh, football on TV. So they became, and Bart Starr was my guy. And, and later on in life, I met Paul Horning, you know, because he lives in Louisville, Kentucky, sure. where the Derbies run. And so I got to go to Lambeau Field with him. And, it, you know, it was just the whole thing. It was just funny how through my life I've, been intertwined with the Packers. Uh-huh. And I am an owner, by the way, of the Green Bay Packers. Myself and 376,000 other people. Oh, that <laughs> oh buy we have shares season tickets? Is that, that how that works? That buy shares in the Packers. They're a publicly, uh, they, they have, I think, 380,000 shares now. You can buy a share for a few hundred bucks. So what percentage of an owner are you, Jerry? Uh, one uh, one 378,000, I think. 
You got one share? I got one share. Very nice. They give you they give you a plaque that says you're a shareholder of the Green Bay Packers, and that's the extent of it. It's not right. worth anything. You can't sell it, and you have no voting rights, but uh-huh. you are a owner of the Green Bay Packers. So I don't wanna I don't wanna ask you about like ridiculous questions, but I'm looking at earnings, right? And I see the amount of money, mm-hmm. right, that you've been associated with right. in terms of riding a race. And I, I guess it's always it's a thing that I've been curious about is I know these these giant purses. Right. What does the jock end up with? Is it, it must be a percentage. So right? it's pretty universal, uh, both international and here in America. If yeah, the the purse is broken down as such, um, the winning it, the winning horse gets sixty percent. Right. The second place horse gets twenty percent. Third is twelve, and then on down. Sometimes right. they pay five or six places. I make 10% of what my horse's owner gets. So if it's a million-dollar race, 60% of that is $600,000. Mm. That's what my horse owner gets that I'm riding for. I get 10% of that. So if a million-dollar race, I make 60000 So if, you, if, you, if you're in a race, and does, does every horse get something? N- not really. In big races, they usually get a participation fee, but there's not, you know, there's... I don't know, I rode 32,000 races. I would say probably 25,000 of them were just ordinary races. Right. In that case, when I rode, I made $75. That's it. That's so, it. That's the base. And so, if you win something or you, or you come in second or third. It, gets, it raises as right. you go. So if the winning jockey in a million-dollar race got 60000 I might have gotten $75 if I finished last. $75. So the incentive is it's performance-based. The better mm. you do, the more you make. And so there's a ton of guys that are just knock around guys that yeah. are just grinding, right? Where I started out in Sunland Park in 1976, the average purse was $1,200. Mm. So the average winning owner got about $5,800, uh, 580 bucks, right. which means I made 58 bucks. The first weekend I rode, I won two races. The fourth weekend I rode, I won seven races, and I made $450. Mm. I mean, it's fine for a, for a 17 or an 18-year-old right. kid. That's real money, yeah. right? But you can't. But for a grown a man with children. No, it's, it's a tough game, and you, you have to win. Right. You have to win. Yeah. Wow. Or else you're just, you're just scuffling by. Right. You know, just, just like the actors you mentioned. You're, you're driving a cab. If, you don't, if, you don't, if you're not good and you don't land the, the, the rolls, I don't land the big horses, you're just getting by. Yeah. There was a guy recently... Um, he was an actor. He was on the Cosby show, right? Huge show. Uh, he came on later in the show and was married to one of the daughters, but he had a nice run for himself. And then somebody saw him working at Trader Joe's and tried to sort of work shame him, right? They're like, this guy was an actor. He was this, that, and the other thing. And now he's working at Trader Joe's, working the cash register, yeah. right? And try to embarrass him. Um, and uh, fortunately for him, it backfired. And people in the industry said, yeah, that's who we are, man. You guys all put us in some place that we're just people that are just trying. We, m- most of us are worried about where our next dollar is coming sure. from. And because they tried to do that to them, because they tried to shame him for that, right, for trying to provide for his family, right? He was going to do whatever it took. Right. To work at Trader Joe's, that's what I'm going to do. And uh, he ended up getting a bunch of work as a result oh, of good. it, which was great, right? But... There's a lot of guys out there that are professional jocks that are probably painting houses and 
yeah. cutting grass or doing whatever it takes, right? Yeah, and then, you know, you, you have to factor in, you know, it's a physical job for us. So we're sure. only able, just like any other athlete, our, our lifespan in our sport is limited. Yeah. You know, you can only ride physically for so long. And so if, if, if you're not fortunate enough to, to make the mm. big dollars, then you're going to be doing something else until, sure. you know, until you're 70 or 80 or whatever. Right. Uh, and a lot of that is just exercising horses for stables mm. in the morning and having a weekly salary, mm. uh, enough to pay some bills, but, no, you know, not much more. So yeah. I was very fortunate. My exposure is I, only, I know two jockeys in my life. I know you and I know this guy that lives across the street from me who I don't really even know. He, I think he's doing well. He lives in he has a beautiful home, and, yeah. and uh, but he owes me money. I went to the Kentucky Derby <laughs> once in my entire life, and I did not he have a good experience. You bet on him, and I lost. bet on him because he was my neighbor, even though I didn't know him. I bet on him, and I didn't make any money, you know, man. There is no, there is no fine line, fine printing at the bottom of those tickets, yeah. Jimmy, that says uh, if you don't like the performance, you can get a refund. There's oh, this no guy's refund. getting he, and he There's gets me in no trouble refunds. all the time because he's always outside his house puttering around, yeah. putting up Christmas lights, doing stuff that I don't want to do. And my wife is always like, Ah, what? He does it. He's doing it. Why aren't you doing it? <laughs> well, listen, Jerry, I want to tell you that uh, I really appreciate you coming, sitting down with us. Um, I appreciate your willingness to sort of share yourself, yeah. right? Um, and I, I want to also thank you for your yes, right, for being that guy, right? Because I think there's, there's still quite a few people around that um, get this unmerited gift and they don't share it with people, right? Yeah, I, I just, I believe, you know, and I, I didn't believe this when I was drinking, obviously, sure. but I, I've, I've grown up, you know, and I believe you can't be a taker in life all the time. Yeah. You got to give. And it's funny how things come back around. My wife calls it karma, and, and that's her word, and yeah, that's sure. a good word. Um, but I just believe that if you want to feel really good about yourself and have a whole life, you can't just be a taker. You got to give back. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, for me, my initial response in my head when somebody asked me to do something, it, there's a little battle that goes on, and it happens really fast now, right? So I just get the word yes out because the word is no. That's the word that wants to come out. Sure. That's the word that's always come out, right? And it's something that I've sort of struggled with um, over the years is just getting out of my own way, right? And I think there's a tendency for me to forget not only where I came from, because I don't think I do that much because I speak a lot. I'm around a lot of people. I talk about myself probably more than I ever should, um, but it's in a sharing way. Mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes I forget about the benefit of saying yes, right? And the benefit might only be um, the smile on that person's face, right? And or their their gratitude, right? Or their uh, their their thanks in a way, not with words or monetarily, but just that sort of uh, appreciation for the kindness, whatever it is, right? Um, there's so much in that for me, right? Because I was a taker. I was a taker, man, I was a taker. And I was always, you know, if you put your hand out to me to do a kindness for me, I might bite one of your fingers off. Like, that's the guy I was. So to be a guy that is even put in a position where I can try to be kind to others is so fulfilling to me. 
Well, I, you may be like me. I mean, there was a large part of my life that nobody would ever ask me to do anything. They yeah. didn't want to be around me. Yeah. So it's just nice to be the person that somebody does ask. Yeah. You know, makes makes me feel better about myself. Yeah. I mean, I think my brokenness was so deep that I just never felt worthy right. of the kindnesses yeah. that people were trying to show me. Like if I was, you know, I was constantly thrown out of my home when I was a kid, right? Because I was such a a terror, right? And somebody would take me in. Like my, uh, I remember my older sister and her boyfriend took me in out of the kindness of their heart. And, you know, within a few days, I was like rifling through their stuff, right? And, and I look back now, they say hindsight is twenty twenty, And with a lot of sort of interior work, we were able to sort of see, we look back and we can see, we can identify that as, no, I wasn't a rotten person. I was a broken person and I didn't feel worthy of the love and appreciation that other people would try to show me of the kindnesses that they would try to show me. I didn't feel worthy of it. You know, we talk a lot about this, um, this 12 step thing that we have. Mm -hmm. And I can remember the going to my first little gatherings and I was in prison at the time and thinking what a wonderful thing this is but it'll never work for me because I felt unworthy of it. That's that. I didn't feel like I was good enough for all the great things that these people were talking about happening in their lives. What I wasn't able to do was to realize they felt the exact same way when they got there, right? This was just a matter of doing some work and doing a whole bunch of repetitive things, right, to get to that place where for that day they felt worthy because that feeling comes it's and goes. Yeah, oh, man. Well, listen, brother, I appreciate you. I, I, again, I thank you for your yes, uh, and I thank you for your friendship. Yeah, it really you. it means a lot to me, and, um, and it means a lot to me to because, uh, you know, sometimes I have sort of difficulties in certain areas, right, where um, I can't uh, control what other people do, right? And... I, mean, I really want to control what everybody does at times, but um, you've been a great example of just just doing it, man. Like, no frills. I'm nobody special. I'm not. Just another guy riding the bus, trying to stay sober, trying to do the right thing, trying to be of service, and uh, it means a lot to me. I don't know about anybody else, but to me it means a lot because um, it, it could be easy to just say, hey, don't you know who I am or don't you know who I think I am? Cause sometimes I do that. Sometimes don't you know who I think I am when ultimately I'm, you know, I'm, I'm no better, no worse than anybody else. Right. And, it, and, and my sobriety is contingent on my spiritual condition today. What am I doing today? Not for the past 30 some odd years. Cause you and I share about the same amount of time. It's not about that, right? That's, that's experience and that's helpful at times, right? But it's really about what am I doing today? And you've always been a great example for me of that. What am I doing today? How am I being of service today? And so I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for uh, for taking the time to sit down with me. I appreciate you, Jerry. Thank, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for thinking I'm worthy enough to be here. Carry the message. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, bro. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. Yeah, that's the bottom. That's the bottom line.